Jesus is Lord of creation. Jesus is the source of reconciliation. He is the reason for our hope. Jesus is the strength to live a new life. Jesus is our Redeemer. Jesus is 100% God. Jesus is the reason the cosmos exists, and Jesus is the reason it's held together. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the resurrected one. Jesus is the peacemaker between God and humanity. And Jesus is the one who works mightily in us. Somebody say amen. Amen. Jesus is the one who works mightily in us. We're going to head over in just a minute to the book of John, I believe chapter 9. Now, this is a really cool chapter. Lots of stuff going on in here today. I'm going to read part of it in just a minute. You can read more of it later. I'm going to tell a story here in just a second. But as we pick up these last few weeks, we've been talking about the messianic miracles of Jesus. Can somebody say messianic miracles? Messianic miracles. It's a good way for us to work on our enunciation. A good way for us, a good way for us to work could be queery. I can't even talk myself. It's a good way for us to practice speaking clearly. Now, if you don't know, if you've been if you've been away, or maybe you haven't heard, maybe this is the first time you're hearing it. There were certain miracles. In fact, there were a number of miracles that the rabbis and the priests could perform. And people would come with their needs to the temple. They'd come with their needs to these synagogues. And they would come to the rabbis. And they would have a process. They would do certain things. They would pray certain ways. And they would do things the right way. And that person would be healed. Now, there were a few things that if somebody came to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees would do their process and the rituals, and if it didn't work, if the person wasn't healed, if that person wasn't delivered... The Pharisees would simply say, well, we can't do that for X, Y, Z. Only the Messiah can do that. Only the Messiah can perform that miracle. And we'll know the person that is the Messiah when they start performing miracles that only the Messiah can perform. And so we have been reading the last number of weeks, with the exception of last week, as we, how many enjoyed church at the beach? That was That was such a nice, beautiful day. This would have been a good day too. But we looked at two miracles that Jesus performed that were reserved for the Messiah. Does anybody remember what the first messianic miracle was? We found that one in the book of Mark. Does anybody remember what the first miracle was? Say it a little louder, Pastor Katie. Healing leprosy. All right, it was believed that only the Messiah could heal the leper. And what happened? Jesus healed the leper. And what we learned in that moment is that Jesus wasn't afraid, one, because he had the full power of the Holy Spirit with him, but he wasn't afraid to get close to and touch the leper and heal them. He wasn't afraid, and nothing was able to hold him back. And it was believed that leprosy was simply a a curse from God. And so therefore, only God could relieve that curse. And so Messiah came and he saved the leper's life. The next week, we talked about the second messianic miracle. Does anybody remember what the second one was? I bet Ronan might remember. 
Corey might remember because he played the part uh, that week. You're all really quiet right now. That's a hint. He healed the deaf, or he healed. He delivered the man who was possessed by a demon. He healed the deaf man. He cast out a mute demon. There we go. And of course, in that moment, the way the rabbis would cast out a demon is they would, they would, they would speak to the demon and say, ask it its name. And the demon would respond to the person that it was possessing. And they would then say that name and, and be gone. But if the person was deaf or mute, they couldn't talk. They would basically shrug their shoulders and say, well, too bad for you. You're going to have to live with this demon the rest of your life. Now, let me tell you this. Jesus did not come into this world so that you could live with a demon in your life for the rest of your life. Okay, Jesus wants to bring you healing. He wants to bring you restoration. He wants to deliver you from all the things that would harm you. He wants to deliver you from all the things that would cause destruction in your life, including Anyone who is possessed by a demon, Jesus wants to deliver you. And it was reserved for the Messiah because only God could do that. And so today we're going to get to the third miracle, the healing a man born blind. Now, I don't know if you know this, God is both mysterious and wise, does anyone have any questions? I don't want to hear them, but does anyone have any questions about God? Something you do not understand? No? Okay. So if you guys know, I'm just going to give you the microphone. If you know everything there is to know about God, it's all you. There are so many mysteries that I can't wait to explore one day. And whether I will be as curious as I am today, later on when I get to heaven, I do not know. But one thing I know for sure is that God is both mysterious and wise. There are things we simply do not know and we cannot understand on this side of heaven. And while for some of us that could pose a problem, I believe it's the very reason for our faith. I believe it's the real foundation of our faith. Because if we understood everything there is to know about God, everything that he does or doesn't do, it really wouldn't be faith anymore. Right? It really wouldn't be faith if we knew everything that God does or doesn't do. And I think one of the greatest burdens of our sin is our desire for the world to revolve around us. Right? We love when people do what we tell them to do. We love when people give us the things that we want. We love to experience all of those things when the world revolves around us. But I don't know if you know this, God wants our world to revolve around the sun. But Pastor Gary, the world does revolve around the sun. I know, every 365 days we make a rotation around the sun. But he wants our lives to revolve around the S-O-N. He created us to be in awe and wonder of who he is. He created us to be in love with the mystery of who he is. And it was such a strong bond between man in God, that there was no question. There was a genuine just love and admiration for the vastness of who God was. You know, I just think of the joy of just listening to, I won't say her name because she'll stop, but I just love the little giggles because those moments, I believe, is what it's like in the garden between like Adam and Eve and God before the fall of man. Just pure giggles and joy and enjoyment. 
just this beautiful moment of peace, this awe and wonder that existed. Because we were created to worship him. We were never created to have a barrier between us and God. God sent Jesus to eliminate those barriers. And so today we're going to read another story of Jesus performing another messianic miracle, not to prove that he was the Messiah, but Jesus came to bring restoration to our world, to build this bridge, to build this bond between us and the Father. And so by performing these miracles, he showed that the world was not without hope. He showed that there was an end to these troubles. Today we ask the Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes to see the light and experience the truth of Jesus and all that he has for us. So let's read this story today in John chapter 9, starting in verse 1. We're just going to read 1 to 7 for now, and I'll tell some of the story here in a little bit. But this is what he says. Okay, thank you. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi... Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this happened, this is a really important moment. But this happened so the works of God might be displayed in him. Let me just pause there for a minute. If you had a great disability in your life. And you finally get the answer to the question of why am I like this? And the answer is simply to show how great God is. I'm not too sure I would know how I feel about that. Now, now you know the end of the story. You know that Jesus is going to heal him. So, I mean, obviously, there's something worth celebrating here. But in that moment, I kind of go... My whole life I've been blind and this is why? I, you know, it's, it's just one of those things, one of those questions, one of those things that I trust that God is God and I am not. It's not necessarily my question to ask why, but it's a moment for me to take a step of faith and believe that God knows. Verse 8, or sorry, verse 4. This is what he says. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told them, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word Siloam means scent. Kind of an important keynote to pay attention to. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now, I don't know about you, but I've worn glasses since I was in grade four. I probably need them, needed them since I was in kindergarten or grade one. I will never forget the day I picked up my glasses from the optometrist. Now, if you wear glasses, you might relate to this experience. But I had never worn glasses before in my life. I had no idea that I couldn't see very well. I had absolutely no idea until one day I'm standing in the doctor's office because my mom has an appointment and there's a poster on the wall and I'm standing at the door impatiently waiting for her because what kid wants to go to the doctor's office with their parent for not them? Who wants to go anyway? Anyways, I'm standing there and I can't read the poster on the wall. 
And she's like, what do you mean you can't read the poster on the wall? I'm like, I can't read the big, huge words that say stop abuse. That's, it was a, that's what it was. And I mean, it was like big, bold, clear font, everything. And I was like, well, I can see that there's words on the paper. I can see that there's pictures there, but I don't know unless I walk up to it what it says. And she says, maybe it's time we take you to the optometrist to get your eyes checked. And I'll never forget the day we got into the car, I put on the glasses, and we're driving down the main street of town. And I see the big sign that says car wash. And I said, I always knew it said car wash, but I can see it, and it's way down at the end of the street. We're driving more, and I said, I can see our street sign way down at the end of the other end of the street. I was amazed at what I could see. And I wasn't even blind. And so you can just imagine, this, this man had never been able to see before in his life. Right? He had never seen the light of day. He had never seen the beautiful colors of the world. Nothing. He'd never seen his parents. And Jesus takes a minute and he heals the man born blind. Another powerful messianic miracle. Ken's, don't chase him, please. In the days of the Jews of Jesus, the Jews believed that only the Messiah could heal such a man. Blindness, believe it or not, was said to be a curse from God. And if it was a curse from God, that means that only God could remove the curse. And so when Jesus performs this miracle, it definitely got the attention of the people. In particular, it got the attention of the Pharisees. Now, the disciples themselves, and maybe you've been there, maybe you're kind of like one of these guys, they faced a theological problem. They faced a problem at this point because they believed the man's blindness was caused by his parents' sin. They must have done something to cause this man to be born blind. They believed, and I would wager, maybe you have believed this at your time, at some point in your life, and many people still believe this today. I can give you some examples. But they believed that the sin directly caused suffering. They believed that their sin directly caused suffering suffering. Now, I'm not talking about if you play with fire, you're going to get burned, right? If you do something dumb, something is bad's going to happen to you, right? If I jump off a bridge, there's a good chance I might get hurt if I don't check what's below. Really hope there's deep enough water. That's not what I'm talking about. There are people that believe today, I am suffering because God must hate me. I'm suffering because I must have done something wrong. And you know what? It actually gets worse because I've met Christians that believe and they will tell people, you are suffering. You have this disability. This happened to you because of a decision that you made, because of a sin in your life. And when people believe that they are suffering or hurt or in pain because of sin in their life, they believe that God hates them. They believe that God doesn't want to have anything to do with them. Why would Jesus ever love me? But the reality is, in this moment, we learn that this is simply not true. 
And that's good news today. In this moment, we begin to realize, yes, suffering exists in our world because of sin. Yes, we feel the pain in this world because of our separation from God. But in the middle of our pain, in the middle of our suffering, there's hope. In the middle of our suffering, in the middle of our pain, in the middle of our hardship, there's grace. In the middle of our turmoil, there's peace. Even in the middle of our grief, there's comfort. Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Have you ever heard the expression, what goes around comes around? You don't have to show me your hands. But how many of us believe that? Because it feels really good, right? When someone does something wrong and you see them get hit by a bus or something and you go, yes, yes. Right? We love, we love watching people suffer when they've done something wrong. What if I told you that we all stand at the same level playing field as those people? Because what goes around, comes around, perpetuates this belief that God punishes us when we've sinned. And it's simply not true. We keep reading this man starts to walk around town. I think I would too. I've been able to walk places that I've never walked before. I'm able to see the things that I never saw during the trails that I walked before. I can see Leland like I never saw him before. So he's walking around town and they recognize this man. And they said, isn't that the blind guy who was born blind? Isn't that the beggar, the guy that used to beg? Because when you were blind, what options for career did you have back then? Nothing. You, had, you were basically at the mercy of those that are around you that were generous enough to be able to give you something to survive. And so he was the blind beggar. And so he starts walking around. Begging was the only occupation that he was able to do due to his disability. And so people looked at him and they would go, is this the man? And some people would go, no, that's just, that he just looks like that guy. That's true, because they couldn't believe it. And so in verse 9, he says, I am the one. I'm the one that you saw begging. I'm the one who was blind, and now I see. I am the one. And so, of course, this gets the attention, and they demand to know, as, as would you or I, they demand to know who healed you. Who healed you? He begins to describe the healing. He says, I was sent to the pool of Siloam to wash. And so naturally they take him to be examined by the Pharisees because he was healed on the Sabbath. And it wasn't so much that he was healed on the Sabbath, it was how he was healed on the Sabbath that got the attention of the Pharisees. So remember, we're talking about Jesus during the time of the Jews, very Jewish culture. 
They had rules in place. Things had to be done a certain way. And this is a significant moment. So when they ask him again, they take him to the Pharisees to be examined. And so he tells his story again to the Pharisees. And it's completely rejected by them. And they accuse this man of lying. Well, no way that happened. There's no way. That's not true. You're lying. So they say, go get his parents. And his parents come. And they say, yep, that's our son. Yep, he was born blind. But then they're scared because they know it's the Sabbath. And they don't want to be thrown out of the synagogue. They don't want to be excommunicated. And so they make this statement, and you can read it. They make this statement. Catherine, can you put those away, please? I already spoke to you about this. Put them on the window behind you. Thank you. He makes this statement, and they say, well, he is of age. He's a grown-up. He's a big boy. He can take care of himself. I verify his story. Yep, that's our son. It's up to him to tell you whatever it is that he tells you. So this is a significant moment because the other two miracles, the Pharisees are genuinely interested in Jesus as the Messiah. They're a little bit concerned, but at this point, we see their attitude begin to shift. They begin to actually believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and if Jesus is the Messiah, something in our life is going to change. If Jesus really is the Son of God, if he really is the Savior of the Jews, if he really is the Savior of the world, he has taught some things, he has addressed some things that we do that are not right. Things are going to change, and we're going to be in big trouble if he is who he says he is. They were genuinely curious, but now they're more and more aware. And we see that this begins to shift. And next week, we're going to get to the fourth messianic miracle, an incredible story, and we see the attitude continue to shift to the point where they get to the, to the moment and they say, if Jesus is the Messiah, we got to kill him. That's how bad their attitude gets. They realize if he's the Messiah, we will have to come under his authority. The Pharisees then try to convince the man that Jesus must be a sinner. Since they follow the righteousness of Moses and that Jesus had performed this miracle on the Sabbath. Well, you know what? It must be basically, it must be witchcraft. He must be a sinner. There's no way that he performed this miracle on the Sabbath. And what was the big deal? What was the big deal about him performing this miracle on the Sabbath? Well, in Jesus' day, in Jewish culture, you were not allowed to work. And making mud, kneading clay, was considered work. And what did Jesus do to heal the man? He made some mud on the ground, and he kneaded it all together, and he put it on the man's eyes. He did work on the Sabbath. But then the man replies, and you got to love this, right? Here's the blind beggar, probably has some really good listening skills. Probably has some really good listening skills. He knows, he knows what happened to him, right? There's no question about what has taken place in his life. And this is why your story, this is why your testimony, this is why sharing your experience with Jesus is so incredibly valuable because it's your story. You have experienced something amazing that Jesus has done in your life. And it doesn't matter if no one else believes in Jesus because of your story, because you do. 
And he's given you a powerful testimony to share. And so he says to them, he's just the blind beggar. He's a nobody, right? He's like at the bottom of society. People just kind of throw their leftovers to him. He's got no authority, no place. And so he's speaking to the highest authority of the religious law at the time. And he says to the Pharisees, if Jesus was a sinner, then how could God use him to perform a miracle? Now, I don't know if you know this. Even if he was, God could use anybody in anything he chooses to because he's God. But he's, again, challenging the same idea that the sin is a direct result of some sort of disobedience. His disability is a direct result of sin. He's challenging this idea because he's now personally experienced it. He's completely set free of the burden of sin that he had. Jesus says that he came to be the light, and this man is walking in the light. He has released completely from this burden. How could God use him? In John 9.32, nobody has ever heard, nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. He reminds them this is a messianic miracle. Nobody else has ever done this before. This has never happened before. Jesus did it. Kens, Ronan, thank you. So, what do you think of God now? What do you think of Jesus? What are some things that you have put in your life to help identify the Messiah? Maybe you have prayed the prayer, God, if you're real, then prove it by doing X, Y, and Z. I like those prayers sometimes. Kind of gets me off the hook. It's kind of an excuse not to have faith. Well, God, hey, you know, let me make a deal with you. Now, I believe there's moments where we genuinely have these moments, these experiences. I've heard a number of stories. You've probably heard stories. Maybe this is your experience. You were far from God. You had no idea about him. And so you said this to him. You prayed this prayer. God, if you're real, would you just show up in my life? Would you do something? And boom, God shows up. Amazing. But don't let it become an excuse not to have faith, not to believe. No matter what, until our hearts are truly soft and we continue to make up excuses as to why God doesn't exist. We begin to make excuses as to why Jesus is not the Messiah. When our desire to do what we want is greater than our desire to do what is right in God's eyes and to do what he wants, we will continue to lack the faith to see who Jesus really is. And if you know somebody like that, the only thing that you can continue to do is to pray for them, to continue to show them love, and continue to pray again, and continue to love them a little bit more until the Lord softens their heart. Because some people, and you probably know these people, maybe you're one of them, I know I can be sometimes, but some of us are just stubborn. Some of us just refuse to believe. And it's not our job to convince, but it's our job to love. It's our job to continue to pray and believe that God will show up, that they will experience the Messiah. Now, there's some interesting things in verse, chap, verse, nine, or verse 6 of chapter 9. 
kind of asked the question, well, why did Jesus make mud in the first place? Now, there's a really, I was reading this. I don't, there's nothing to substantiate this. It's just a theory, all right? So someone say, just, just remember, just remember it's a theory, okay? So some say, well, the man was born blind because he was born without eyeballs, okay? And so Jesus, because he is God, takes a moment and he actually makes eye, eyes out of the mud. There's nothing for us to believe that that's true, but it's kind of a nice idea. I think there's more to it than that, and I think it's actually simpler than that. But it's kind of a cool idea because Jesus came to restore creation. He's one with the creator. Here he is creating. That's kind of a cool picture. Maybe Jesus is just saying, hey, we should all put some mud on our face and get facials today. I don't know. But this is what I believe. I believe it's really to show that Jesus has come to change a few things. He's come to bring restoration and to truly show the character and the heart of God. It's not that these laws were put in place with bad intentions, but the Jews had a number of things called fence laws. And a fence law is something as simple as this. If this is the line, if I jump off the stage, I will be in sin. Okay? So they would put up laws in place to keep you from jumping, to keep you from sinning. And so they would say, well, we're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. And they would debate back and forth. The, the rabbis would go back and forth on what was right, what was not right. And so they said, well, we don't want people sinning or working on the Sabbath because that's a sin. So we're going to make a law and a rule. We're going to put it in place. Now we can't cross the line. Now we can't even get close to the line. Now we can't even sin. You can't make clay on the Sabbath because... It might be work. And if it's work, you're then sinning. Well, Jesus came and he made mud on the Sabbath because Jesus came to change a few things. In fact, Jesus came really to bring things into more clear alignment. They were kind of going off this way. And you create law after law after law to keep you from breaking more and more rules. And you know what happens? The more rules and laws that you create, at some point the game becomes no fun. Have you ever played a board game when someone keeps changing the rules? I used to love doing that as a kid. Oh, guys, you've never played this game before? I have. This is how it works. Oh, no, no, that's not how it goes when, you know, things start to not go the way I want it to. No, that's wrong. I, I get to beat that one, okay? Jesus came to change some of that thinking. He says, guys, the Sabbath and not working is not an excuse to not show mercy, this is not an excuse to not show kindness. Fence laws exist so you don't break the actual law, but God never meant the Sabbath would ever hinder the acts of mercy or kindness. He came to change a few things in our lives as well. He's come to change our thinking. He's come to change our perception. He's come to change our perspective. He wants to open our blind eyes and see the truth. And you know what happened to this guy? After he told this story, and I know all of us, we want to experience this. They said, okay, we believe you. Great to have you part of the family. No, they actually just kicked him out. They excommunicated him. And they didn't even follow formal procedure. They just got so mad, they just said, I don't want to deal with this anymore. Get out. And they just kind of slammed the door in his face and kicked him out. But it actually worked out in his favor. Because in this moment, because he was healed by Jesus, he actually began to believe that he was a disciple of Jesus. 
And he said, fine, you're going to kick me out? Because what would happen if he stayed? Right? Why would you want to be around that negative influence anyway? They're just going to tell me I'm a sinner. They're just going to tell me about my past. They still believe that I'm disabled because of sin in my life. So I'm always going to be the blind beggar in their eyes. Why would he want to stay in that environment? Jesus completely changed his life. He completely not restored his vision. He gave him new vision. He experienced something incredibly new. And it's the exact same thing that Jesus does for us. We choose to put our faith in him, even when we don't understand the mysterious ways of God. He gives us a brand spanking new life. He gives us a brand new start. You know, it's okay for us to continue to have the questions, the doubts. It's okay for us to struggle. We might even experience great pain. Coming into the light doesn't mean we understand everything that God knows or does. But coming into the light means, and we recognize that we need a Savior. We need a healer. We need a miracle worker. We need a Messiah. So here's, here's, here's where I come from today. The bottom line is this. If you're at any point in your life, whether you're in this room, whether you're at home, whether you're going to watch this later, if at any point in your life, you begin to question whether or not God cares enough about you because of your situation, remember that the answer is in big capital letters, yes, he does. No matter what situation you find yourself in, no matter what happens, God loves you. Isn't that good news? God loves you. Now, it's amazing. I told you this is a cool fact, and I close with this. Jesus told him to go to the pool of Siloam. Does anybody remember what Siloam means? I said it really quick and briefly. It means sent. This is where Jesus told the blind man to go and wash. The man was sent there And Jesus was the one sent by the Father. The man washed and went home seen and clean. Just like this man, Jesus wants to send you and he wants to send me. He wants us to be washed and he wants us to be made clean. So that like this blind beggar, we could become his disciples and bring more people into the light. So go be washed by grace and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Be made clean to bring revival to the hearts and the people of this world. Jesus is the Lord of creation. Jesus is the source of our reconciliation. Jesus is the strength to live a new life. Jesus is our Redeemer. Jesus is 100% fully God. Jesus is the reason that we exist and holds this world together. Jesus is the resurrected one, the head of the church, the peacemaker between God and humanity. He is the one who works mightily in us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
We thank you for sending Jesus to be the light in this world. And Lord, even as he quoted, Lord, even as he said to his disciples that currently they walk in the day and the night is coming, Lord, it was a prediction that he knew that he would not be on this earth much longer. And Lord, we anticipate that you are coming again soon. Lord, that you have great plans and great purposes, Lord, for your kingdom here on this earth. And so, Lord, we, in this moment of waiting, Lord, we ask that you would give us the passion, the desire, the ability, the power, Lord, to reach as many people as we can, to bring them into the light, so that they would know they are truly loved by the living God, that they would know that they are loved by the creator of the universe, that you deeply care for them, no matter what they have done, no matter where they have come from. Lord, you care so deeply. Lord, we ask that this truth of God would be revealed, Lord, through us. And Lord, for those of us that struggle with these questions of our faith, Lord, that questions about who you are and what you've done, Lord, would you just allow us to take a step of faith, Lord, and to trust you through the questions. Lord, not that we wouldn't ask them, Lord, you can handle it. But Lord, would you allow us to rest in the peace of knowing that no matter the circumstance we find ourselves in, Lord, we will continually give thanks to you because you are good. We will continually praise you because you are good. We will continue to worship you because you are good. And Lord, we will continue to walk in the confidence because we know without a shadow of a doubt that we are loved by you. I praise you in the mighty name of Jesus, our Messiah and our Savior. Together we say, Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being a part of what God is doing on the North Shore. Thank you so much for allowing God to change your life. And if you would like to experience the next step of following Jesus, I invite you to do that. God bless today and have a wonderful, beautiful Sunday, sunny afternoon.